Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. to our ministry. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors that celebrates seniors of ministry of Faith Dialogue. Today we're going to be starting a, a brand new series. It's a series called Unstoppable. As we see that the, in the book of Acts, and we'll be going through the book of Acts over the next few weeks, that the, in the book of Acts this church is unstoppable. Unstoppable is a word that comes to mind when we read through this story of the early church that is recorded in the book of Acts. Who would have thought who would have thought that a small group of relatively insignificant, largely uneducated group of Judeans that faced daily conflict and persecution would grow from around 120 people on the day of Pentecost to become the most significant catalyst for change in the Roman Empire and ultimately the entire world. Uh, the obstacles that this movement faced were, were significant, but this group of believers were unstoppable. When the religious leaders tried to silence the gospel that Peter and John proclaimed boldly, they refused. And not only did they refuse, but when the same religious leaders threw them in the jail, what did God do? He sent an angel to spring open the jail cells and release his unstoppable leaders. So as we begin this study in the book of Acts, I would encourage you to do two things. One, get your Bible. It's so important to have a Bible with you when you're studying the scriptures. Another, get something to write on because there's going to be a lot of information that we're going to be communicating. Opportunities for you to be able to grow and become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to hear in these lessons the last instructions that the Lord gave to his disciples. We'll witness the birth of the church through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit the beginning of the persecution that actually strengthened the early believers. As we travel through these chapters in the book of Acts, we'll see God's design for our ministry efforts, God's design for the governance of the church, and God's design for evangelizing the world. As such, the book of Acts becomes a very strategic book for, for every believer. There are two characters initially that we want to address. We want to identify who these characters are. One of them is the author of the book of Acts. His name is Luke, sometimes called Luke the Evangelist. Luke is the author also of the gospel that bears his name, as well as this book called the Acts of the Apostles. Now, Evangelist is a name that was later ascribed to, to Luke, but Paul refers to him just as the beloved physician. Luke was a constant companion to the Apostle Paul and was able to record all of Paul's missionary journeys. Scholars generally consider Luke to be of Jewish ancestry, but because of his name, they believe to be him also of, of Gentile roots. His mastery of the Greek language, as well as his name, identifies him likely as Luke of Antioch, a Greek city just as Paul was of Tarsus. Both the Gospel of Luke as well as the Acts of the Apostles were dedicated to a man named Theophilus. This is the second person we want to identify. Theophilus is a Greek name which literally means loved by God. I guess that would describe all of us. 
and he addresses Theophilus as most excellent. Most excellent. Now, this is a title that's used when referring to someone of honor, such as a, a governor or somebody of high rank within the Roman military. It was used by Paul when he addressed both Felix and Festus in Acts 23 and 26. Therefore, the most common theory on who this guy Theophilus is, is he was possibly a high-ranking Roman official, uh, or possibly somebody in the Roman government. It's likely that Theophilus had become a follower of Jesus Christ, and also provided financial support, not only to Luke, but likely to the Apostle Paul as well. The book of Acts has a, a very broad audience, including many uh, not only would be new believers um, at the time of the Apostle, uh, but also people in the Roman government. Uh, the Roman government, by the way, at this time had a rather tolerant view of religion. You could really practice only religion you wanted to uh, without a lot of persecution as long as you understood that Caesar, Caesar was a god and that you would worship Caesar as well. Now this worked really well until the early disciples, the early followers of Jesus Christ started saying that Jesus as, is Lord as opposed to Caesar is Lord. Luke takes time to develop the character of Christians as very loyal and very loyal law-abiding, very good Roman citizens. Over the 30 years that were covered in the book of Acts, a number of Roman governors, as well as the military leaders, became, became Christians. The book of Acts records clearly that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles as well. And it was through the growth of the church among the, among the Gentiles that the church became truly unstoppable. The book of Acts doesn't lend itself well to, to outlines. You know, when I was in seminary, one of, the, one of the assignments that we had was we had to outline all of the books of the New Testament as well as a few in the Old Testament as well. And, and the book of Acts doesn't lend itself real well to an outline because it ebbs and flows with the work of the Holy Spirit. The empowerment of the church through the Holy Spirit, the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, and then the missionary journeys of Paul and the other apostles. The book of Acts ends with Paul's imprisonment in Rome, awaiting his likely execution. And that's where Luke stops. The book of Acts ends, but it really doesn't end there, does it? The book of Acts actually continues to this day because the church to this day continues to be truly unstoppable. While this book is called the Acts of the Apostle, it could easily have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as over 100 times the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is referenced in the, in the book of Acts. Of course, if I was naming the book of Acts, I would be calling it the Unstoppable Church. So let's get started in, the, in this fascinating book. You'll see as we begin to read that while it records events as they happen, it's written in a, in a narrative that provides a truly accurate look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of this church. So let's start with Acts 1 and verse 1. So Jesus is taken up into heaven. This is what it says. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke starts off referring to his former book. Uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostle are actually a, a two-volume set written by Luke to this highly esteemed Theophilus. Uh, the Gospel of Luke records the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in what Luke refers to as the former book. Luke's Gospel prescribe, describes only the beginning of Jesus' work. Part 2, his book of Acts, describes the continuation. As the work of the church, it continues until we see the culmination of this entire period, this age of the church, this age of grace, and we see it culminated in the book of Revelation. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Don't you love that? God had chosen through Jesus the apostles that would carry on the work of Jesus after he ascended into heaven. And then it says that he presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So let's go through these verses carefully, one verse at a time, and see what they, they say to us. Verse 2 says, Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So we're only in verse 2, and Luke is already referencing the ascension of Jesus Christ, which actually happens in verse 9. Uh, this is still a summary. Luke is a great writer, and Luke tells you first what he's going to tell you, then he tells you the actual event. It says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. You know, I mentioned before that there are about a hundred references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. In addition, the Gospel of Luke is full of a very clear reference of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, as well as a clear reference by Jesus in the 12th chapter of Luke that it is the Holy Spirit that will be teaching the Christians. Notice in verse 2 it, it references the apostles that he had chosen. Uh, this will become very important next week when we see that the apostles have to deal with the betrayal of Judas and decide how to choose or if a replacement is necessary. Jesus had selected these initial apostles and yet one had betrayed him. If the church was to continue the selection of future leaders, whether they're called apostles or priests or prophets or pastors or elders, doesn't matter what name we use, if the church is going to continue, the church is going to need leaders that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's go on, verse 3. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul describes one of these convincing proofs. It says, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part of the apostles said, remain to the present. And more than 500 people, think about that, saw the resurrected Jesus. And most of them were still alive. This is probably 25 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven that this book is being written. During this period of time between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus has spent the necessary time to give them convincing proofs. In the, in the King James, it says infallible proofs. Uh, the Greek word here is used 
that's, that's used as infallible or convincing proofs is the same word that's used as a, a sign. Just as a stop sign says that you better stop, as a curve in the road sign said there's a curve coming, these signs that Jesus gave are the convincing proofs that he was the Messiah. They were sure signs that he was alive. It wasn't just that he was alive, but the sentence structure actually gives uh, the reference that Jesus would appear for a period of time and then kind of disappear. He would appear, show himself to his disciples, and then basically part. He was able, for example, to enter locked rooms. He knew when he get into, got into a room what had been said, even though it didn't appear that he was present at the time. And that he would give proofs that he was the risen Messiah. He would eat with them. He would say, look at my hands and my feet. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Ultimately, some of these new disciples of Jesus would end up dying for this belief. And their belief was in a, a risen Lord, not a, not a dead leader. If Jesus had died and rose again, there was confidence an assurance that his followers would also rise from the dead. Jesus had told them, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Likely you've heard other stu studies that one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is this, this passion, this, this boldness and commitment that the early disciples had that Jesus had truly risen from the dead. Uh, Peter may have gone back fishing after the resurrection, but ultimately post-resurrection Jesus met with him, had dinner with him, and then asked him a question and said, do you love me more than these? When Peter answered that said he that when Peter answered and said that he did, Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Another time he said, take care of my sheep. This is Jesus talking to Peter after the resurrection. And then the verse continues. Verse 3b. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we find out in this verse that Jesus had spent 40 days, 40 days with the apostles and some of the disciples as well, spent 40 days with them telling them about the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have any record of what actually Jesus said. You know, did he tell them parables? Did he, did he, did he go back into the scriptures and remind them of some of the things that he had said? We, we have no clue at what Jesus had said other than the, the book of Acts records that he told them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm, a study, I'm a student of history. I love church history. And church history tells us that immediately following the time of the apostles, there were a number of false teachers that came up. And there was a group known as the Gnostics. Gnostic is a, it comes from a Greek word, kenoso, which means to, to know or knowledge, hidden knowledge. And these Gnostics said that during this 40-day period, Jesus had given the apostles uh, hidden symbols and signs and, and hidden knowledge that nobody would understand, but somehow these Gnostics understood them. But I don't understand how they would know it if it's not recorded and nobody else knew. But, but see, this is not what Luke teaches. He said simply that Jesus taught them much the same things and themes that he had taught them 
during his earthly ministry, the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So let's continue, verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I love this assignment that, that Jesus gives them. Notice it says, once when he was eating with them, the resurrected Jesus, eating and drinking and having fellowship with his disciples. Okay, so this assignment that Jesus gave them is, is, can be difficult. Uh, you can determine for yourself. Jesus commanded them to, to wait. Just to wait. I don't know about you, but waiting is extremely difficult for some people. It's one of the most difficult tasks that people say they have. You know, at one time it was one of the most difficult things for me as well. I hated, I hated waiting. I, I really did. I used to travel for, for business. And initially it was by car, but then it became by, by plane, by jet. And I, I traveled not only in the United States, but also uh, internationally. I ended up uh, ending it up being gold, medallion, platinum, super duper, whatever the card said on a number of different airlines frequent flyers, both nationally and internationally. Uh, the problem you see for me was with air travel is that you could get from point A to B pretty quickly, but both at point A as well as at point B, it involved a lot of waiting. Uh, you'd have to wait in the airport lines. You'd have to wait in security lines. You'd have to wait to pick up your car rental. You had to wait as you were going through customs or immigration. So I, I had this problem until, until a time when my family and I, we, we moved to Mexico. We were going to spend a, a, a few years. Actually, it ended up being about three and a half years in Mexico. And while we were in Mexico, uh, we had to learn the Spanish language. And I remember very well learning the Spanish language. I had a little bit of high school Spanish, but I, I started learning the Spanish language so I could communicate. And, and we had to conjugate verbs. We had to learn what the verbs meant. Those were the action words in, in the lang any language. And, and I learned that the word to wait in Spanish was esperar. And I also found out that esperar also meant to hope. Isn't that great? To wait and to hope in Spanish is the same word. We well, see that that changed everything for me because I understood that made all the difference in the world. When we understand that waiting on the Lord is the same as a hope, our expectation of something that is about to happen, we can actively wait because we're actively hoping and what God has in store for us. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about with the disciples. He said to not to depart from Jerusalem. Jesus had nothing else for the disciples to do except to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the promise that was given to the disciples of a better thing, something that was going to happen. Jesus knew that they could really do nothing effective for the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. To wait for them meant that there was something that was worth waiting for. To wait meant that they had a promise of something that would come. To wait meant that when they, could re when they received it, it was something better than they could do by themselves. And to wait meant that they might be tested for a while, but it was worth the while to wait. Jesus also told them specifically what was coming. Verse 5. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And note that when John the Baptist said it, he said that the, when, he, when John the Baptist talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was actually three years, three years into the future. No one had ever experienced this before. Jesus made a reference to it and it's recorded in the Gospel of John. This is what Jesus said. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's John chapter 16, verse 13. The Holy Spirit refers to truth, but it's, but it's much more than truth. He is the Spirit of truth. He, a personality, is the Spirit of truth. You know, baptism with the Holy Spirit, then, is the actual metamorphosis or the transformation of the believer into a child of God. Uh, here's where the major difference between the Spirit's role in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've had a, a number of people ask me about that, and, and I can understand it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, the New Testament teaches the permanent, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Believers, uh, in the, the believers um, receive the Holy Spirit when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live with us. The Holy Spirit changes us. Um, Jesus said to Nicodemus that we are born again. And the word metamorphosis, by the way, is the process of a caterpillar turning into a, a butterfly. The caterpillar becomes a, a new creation. The Holy Spirit did indwell some Old Testament saints, um, but that was not his usual ministry. The Holy Spirit empowered Old Testament saints without taking up residence within them, without quickening them. These Old Testament saints didn't become new creation. Uh, when the Holy Spirit would come upon Old Testament saints, things would happen. Samson would gain strength. The Pharaoh would recognize that the Spirit was in Joseph. King David would dance. Today, however, the Holy Spirit resides within every child of God. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every believer is a unique thing that began on the day of Pentecost. So now let's move on to the second part of the message for today. Verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You know, the, this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, was actually asked in a number of different ways a number of times before. But for the apostles, it had special relevance now. They now fully understood who the Messiah was, that he had come to die on the cross for the sin of man, that he was the fulfillment of what they knew as the Passover lamb, that he had risen from the dead, he had conquered death. But it was now reasonable for them to ask Jesus that question one more time because there were many, many promises to the people of Israel that they were interested in seeing if it was time for them to be fulfilled. Uh, the Messiah was to come and reign on the throne of David. The kingdom of David and Solomon would again be glorious. Never again would the people of Israel be conquered. The kingdom would be everlasting. The territory that was promised to Abraham's descendant extended from the Nile River in Egypt to the Euphrates River in Mesopotamia. But notice that Jesus uh, doesn't answer. He doesn't rebuke or even rephrase, rephrase, um, rephrase their question. 
Instead, Jesus replies this in verse 7. Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You know, when you think about that answer that Jesus gave, you can think, well, it's pretty good that he didn't tell us that it was going to be 2,000 years. 2,000 years. It was probably good for the disciples to not know that the full restoration of the kingdom of Israel that they had hoped for would happen anytime wasn't going to happen for at least about 2,000 years. You know, some theologians teach that Jesus didn't tell them because Jesus didn't know. I don't, I don't believe that for a second. Jesus said only the Father knew the day or the hour. But Jesus clearly said that we were children of the light and that we would be able to see signs. We would be able to see the fig tree, the symbol of Israel, for example, begin to bud and know that the, the time was short. We would know that, uh, that, that there would be a time when Israel be regathered together. Isn't that something? Regathered together. And we saw that recently in 1948 and then in 1967. The people came back and Israel became a nation after not being a nation for almost 2,000 years. So this age, this 2,000 years, theologians call it the, the church age or the age of grace. That this group of 12 that would become 120 and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit would enter into the church age where God was going to be dealing with both Jew and Gentile and it was whether it was male or female, slave or free, it, it made no difference in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit could be poured out on anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus. Today, 2,000 years later, over 3 billion people call themselves by the name of Jesus. They call themselves Christians. You know, I believe that Jesus answered in the way that he did with the disciples because he really wanted them to focus on the task at hand. The task was to wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. And giving them too much specificity about how long this age would last may have discouraged them in their work because there was much work to do. You know, here's another point. All too often, we keep on thinking about the coming kingdom and fail to realize that the kingdom of God is already present among us. About a hundred years ago, there was a very distinguished, very accomplished theologian at Princeton Theological Seminary called Gerthard Voss that coined the phrase that the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. Already and not yet. You know, I remember when I heard that, it, it, it resonated with me. There was something about this idea of the kingdom of God being already and not yet that, that seemed to, 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 to make sense to me. The biblical concept is that we as believers are actively taking part of the kingdom of God and at the same time, we look for the fulfillment, the fulfillment when the kingdom of God will reach its full expression. We are already in the kingdom, but we do not yet see the glory. As we look into the Bible and do a study on the Bible, what the Bible says about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God sometimes is called the kingdom of heaven. They're interchangeable terms. We see two distinct meanings. The kingdom of God is where God is sovereign. We recognize that God is sovereign in all aspects of life. God is sent to be omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. 
That means that he is all-powerful. God is all-knowing and that he's present everywhere. At the same time, we know that God does not exercise his dominion. Aren't you glad? Um, he permits many things that would not be permitted in the kingdom of God as it would be fully established. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. With the Lord, a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that future kingdom is the not yet. That, that impacts us as well. The Apostle John said, we know that, dear friends, we are the children of God, and that we are not yet what we will be, but when we see him, we will be like him. That's a paraphrase, but that's from the Apostle John. And this already and not yet at work, we have a, a now, we're the children of God, and you have a not yet. It's our future state. The new resurrected bodies that we'll have when the kingdom of God is, is fully established. So let's continue. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know, the word power is interesting as it's used here. Likely the disciples were still thinking about the power of the kingdom of God. The restored power of Israel, most likely in contrast to the power of Rome. But, but Jesus points to a different kind of power. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says what we're going to do with that power. He follows up and says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all of Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Jesus wasn't telling them what to do. This wasn't a command. It was a simple statement of fact, that when the Holy Spirit has come, you will be witnesses. Jesus didn't recommend that they become witnesses. He said that they would be witnesses. Now, I remember Remember how I said that the, the book of Acts is a difficult book to outline, and that's true, but here's a little bit of an exception. Because Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will be witnesses going out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the world, ends of the earth. And it's interesting because in the chapters of the book of Acts, we see this. In chapters 1 through 7, Luke describes the gospel in Jerusalem. And then part 2, Acts chapter 8 through 12, he speaks of the gospel going to Judea and Samaria. And then Acts 13 through 28 tells of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. These verses regarding the power of the Holy Spirit enabling the disciples to be witnesses, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. We are a witness of Jesus Christ. As Luke began, he said he was writing an account, actually the second account of all the things Jesus began to do and to teach. That's what we are a, a witness of. The disciples were going to take this gospel and start in Jerusalem. We'll see next week and the week after that that Jesus ascends into heaven and then the Holy Spirit descends on the day of Pentecost. You know, it's not coincidentally that we'd be talking in this event the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday, coming up in, in just a couple of weeks. 
Notice the progression. They start where they are. They start in Jerusalem. But then they take the gospel to Judea and Samaria. Judea is one thing. You know, that's where the Jews are. But Samaria, that's a completely different thing. Those are the, those horrible Samaritans. But remember that Jesus took the gospel to Samaria. He spoke to the woman at the well. He, he revealed himself to her, that he was the Messiah. Then she told the people in that little town, and they came to believe in Jesus. So after Judea and Samaria, then Jesus says, take the gospel, take my witness to the ends of the earth. You see, this is our, this is our task as well. We're to take this gospel from where we are, our neighborhood, to our families, our friends, but we don't stop there. We're to take it to those places near our Judea and Samaria, but then we're supposed to take it to those places far, to the very ends of the earth. So how do we do that? I told you before that the book of Acts is a practical book. So Jesus is telling us how we do that. Number one, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are enabled because of the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives and he changes us. He makes us a, a new creation and we become witnesses of Jesus. It's because of this baptism, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this immersion into the Spirit of God that we're enabled. And number two, we, we partner with the body of Christ. Oh, let me tell you, that is so important to understand that we're not alone. We are a body. We're the body of Christ. Not everyone is called to go. Not everyone's called to get on a boat or a plane and to go to Africa or to Europe or parts unknown. However, right here in Orlando, we have two ministries. We have Crew, formerly known as the Campus Crusade for Christ, and we have Wycliffe International Ministries, two ministries that actually share a campus right outside of Orlando. Over a thousand people work there, a thousand people that are called to go to the ends of the earth. We partner with organizations that are specifically called to go and be a witness to the ends of the earth. We support them. How do we support them? With our prayers, with our money, with our encouragement. That people everywhere, through them, through our enabling them, would understand who Jesus is so that they could become true witnesses themselves of who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would know Jesus, that he died for their sin, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and that he's coming back again. Would you pray with me? Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this unstoppable church. We thank you, Lord, for this introduction to the book of Acts. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.